to welcome you. We want to welcome those of you who are brand new. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. I want to start by telling you about a guy named Walter Cavanaugh. Have you ever heard of Walter Cavanaugh? Walter Cavanaugh, and back in the 70s, was a pharmacist who made a bet with a friend of his. They were out to dinner one night eating steak, and they said, listen, I bet you that over the next year, I can accumulate more active credit cards than you can, and we're, we'll, we will go out to dinner one year from now, and whoever gets the most number of credit cards in the next 365 days, that other person is going to buy dinner. At the end of that year, Kavanaugh won the free dinner by applying for and obtaining, get this, 143 credit cards. He beat his friend by, who had 138. These were, back in the 70s, they were giving out credit cards like candy, but this was only the beginning. For the next 30-some years, Kavanaugh continued to accumulate credit cards, and so he now proudly holds the Guinness World Record with an astounding 1,497 valid credit cards. Now, today that's illegal, but back in the 70s, they were giving these things out like Halloween candy. In fact, um, back in 1966, five Chicago banks banded together, and they sent out five million credit cards to people that never applied for them. Um, some people received up to 15 cards from one bank. Dead people got cards. Babies got cards. Even a dog named Alice got four cards. Alice is now a preferred member at Chicago's finest restaurants all throughout the area. Listen to some of these statistics on debt. As of May 2018, this year, for the very first time, Americans now collectively surpassed a grand total of one trillion dollars in credit card debt. That means if you were around when Jesus was alive and you spent a million dollars every single day for the next 2,000 years, you'd still have money in the bank. Right now there are six, 360 million active credit cards here in the United States alone. Question, how many people live in the United States? 325 million. That means there are more active credit cards than there are actual human beings. One out of every seven Americans has at least 10 credit cards. And so let me ask you this question. What lengths would you go to in order to eliminate debt? There was a company out there that did a survey and asked people, what lengths would you go to get rid of your debt? They found that over 30% of us would sell an organ to get out of debt. Lean over to the person next to you and say, you have two kidneys, you know. Two kidneys, right? Um, they also found 38% of us would take part in a questionable health study. What, what are you taking? I don't know. Honestly, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. All of my credit card debt's gone. 55% would be willing to turn their lives into a full-time reality TV show. Would you do that? 55% want to become the Kardashians to get rid of all of their debt. Now, what if I told you you didn't have to give up a kidney or take some shady medication or be a leading star in the Real Housewives of Montgomery County to completely eliminate all of your debt? The answer is not a consolidation loan or a new app or to, as some people will do, stop paying your lenders altogether and then have a company go and negotiate, renegotiate all of your debts at penny on the dollar, pennies on the dollar. Obviously, that's not a solution. 
but he isn't even earning more money. In fact, when it comes down to it, the key isn't even paying off your debt altogether. If you want to know what the secret to permanently paying off your debt and living a debt-free lifestyle, the secret is this. Stop loving money. Stop loving money. I mean, right around this time, usually I'll I'll do a, a message on debt. And it all centers around Dave Ramsey's baby steps for getting out of debt. And in fact, if you're If you are in debt, you need to follow Dave Ramsey's plans. They're very easy. Step number one, save $1,000 to start an emergency fund. Step number two, pay off all your debt using the debt snowball method, meaning you pay off your smallest first, and then you progressively do that, but you keep the total payment alive until you knock off all of your debt so your payments grow and knocks off your debt quicker. Save three to six months of expenses, blah, 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 blah. That's all great advice, and you should follow that advice, but here's what I've noticed. I've taught on debt for 15 years, and only a handful of people have actually done this. Those of you who have taken the Bible at its word, and you've followed those steps, you know now what it feels like to be completely free, financially free. But the absolute vast majority of it goes in one ear and out the other. Why? I've just asked myself, why? It's like, why would someone continue to smoke for 30 years if you know it's going to give you and the people around you cancer? What possible, what is going through your mind to do that? And it's the same thing when it comes to debt. What reasonable person would say, I love paying interest on stuff that I don't even know what I paid for any longer? How does this even happen? Now, At the beginning of 2018, I started meditating on the Gospel of Matthew. I have this weird thing. I go to bed early, about 9.30, and I get up at 3.30 in the morning. And I get all, I get what I eat, and I get it down, I sit down at my table, and I read a chapter of Scripture, and I meditate on it. Sometimes I'll meditate on one word or one verse, and this will go an hour or two. This year I've been meditating on the Gospel of Matthew, and it has changed my entire outlook on life. It has changed my outlook on money. The thing that I've realized as I've reflected on the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus never taught people how to get out of debt. That quite frankly, for the last 15 years, I've been wasting my time. Instead, what Jesus did is he taught people how to change their heart so that they would never want to go into debt or they would never want to stay into debt. Jesus focused on changing the heart, not the exterior behavior. For instance, I have a friend who has trained himself to hate sugar. Do you know anybody like this? I'm not talking about like they have self, they've trained themselves that they have self-control. He truly doesn't like anything that has sugar in it. I can wave a milkshake or an Um, ice cream in front of him, or a cake, or a pecan pie. Whenever he has the opportunity to treat himself, you know what he'll eat? Vegetables and water. I'm like, are you a cyborg? What What is this? I want you to lean over to the person next to you right now, really quickly. If you had the ability to treat yourself, what would you eat? What would you treat yourself with? Go, really fast. All 
All right, anybody say cheesecake? Cinnabon. Really? Cinnabon. Cinnabon. Listen, my friend doesn't have a weight problem. He's in great shape. He's always been in great shape. But he didn't get that way by some weird calorie counting, number counting, trick myself into weight loss program. He didn't use some weight loss fad, some app. He just trained himself to truly relish and love healthy food and simultaneously to hate sugar with a vengeance. And that's it. And Jesus' approach to money is the same thing. So if you have debt in your life, you don't have a financial problem, you have a discipleship problem. Like that Joe Cocker song that the band just sang. You've asked for a little help from your friends, but your friends are in more debt than you are. So what we need to do is we need to look to Jesus, who is the only one who can tell us how to piece together a life that works, starting from the inside, the internal motivation. So this is something I've never talked about here. If we ask Jesus, what's the secret to money? He would say the secret to money is to stop loving money. If you train yourself to stop loving money, you will avoid a world of heartache financially. So what we're doing is over the next few weeks, we're calling this series Classic. And for fun, right before the message, we're going to sing classic songs. And if you like the song today, you definitely want to be here for next week. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn what a disciple of Jesus thinks and does differently than the rest of us. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Let me go ahead and read the passage we're looking at today. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your energy will be, your passion, your focus, your intensity, your preoccupation. Everything that you are will be focused on that treasure. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See that? See the flowers of the field? See how they grow? They, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like these. If that is how God clothes the, gla- the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you in addition to that. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What I want to do is I'm going to be very practical today. I'm going to get straight to the point. The key idea, the key question I want to help us answer this morning for all of us is, how can I stop being a slave to money? Now, you're going to notice that the word slave does not come up in this English translation that, that where he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one and love the other one. But Jesus' language, Jesus doesn't say that. What the Bible translators are doing is they're trying to avoid the language of slavery because they want to be sensitive to those of you who are black. For those of you who have the abhorrent practice of slavery in your family lineage. For those of you who have come from other countries where there has been slavery, the NIV translators want to be sensitive to that. But that's not what Jesus actually said. And I think not translating it the way Jesus said it actually robs it of its power. R.T. France, New Testament scholar, translates the verse this way. No one can be the slave of two owners. That's what Jesus was trying to convey. Stop allowing yourselves to be a slave to money where you have absolutely no control of your life and something else is controlling all of your decisions and everything that you do 24-7. And so what Matthew does is he records three different lessons that Jesus shares about how we can break free from the slavery to money. And the first one is this. Step one is to get rid of every earthly belonging except what is absolutely necessary. So for instance, no way in the world would Jesus say, the best thing to do financially is first, you need to save $1,000 in savings. He was like, that's stupid. That's like putting lipstick on a pig. That $1,000 is going to be gone like that. You need to change what is causing the depletion of the money in the first place. Um, how many things do you have in your house? How many things do you own? Obviously, for many, it would just be ridiculous to go through and count everything that we own. But the average household that is represented here in this church has roughly 300,000 things that you own. According to Jesus, if you want to break the connection of your slavery to money, which we are all born with, we are all born slaves to money, we want to become a slave to God the Apostle Paul, that was his favorite way he described himself. I, Paul, where we, the English translation is a servant. I, Paul, a doulos, a slave of Christ. Someone that has no rights. If you want to get to that point, Jesus said you have to give a lot of your stuff away. For instance, John the Baptist, the, the progenitor of, our, of the Jesus movement, said if you have two coats... You need to give away one to someone that has zero. So here's my question. Do you have two coats? It's not a hypothetical. Do you actually have two coats? 
Because if you do, there is someone in the Philadelphia metro area that has zero. And if you want to stop being a slave to money, you need to give that coat away. Now you're thinking, well, what happens if I'm going to need a coat in the future? And Jesus is like, well, I'm going to get to that point in a second. But right now, you need to divest yourself of that particular thing. In the first century, people would dig a hole literally in the middle of their family living area. Dig a hole and then cover it up with a rug, and that's where they kept their possessions. There weren't any banks. There weren't any places with armed guards. But Jesus is like, why would you devote all of your energy to collecting something that sits in a hole when God has promised he's going to give you everything that you need? Isn't there surely, Jesus is saying, a better way for us to be spending our time? So I mentioned back in 2017, as a result of thinking and praying about this, that um, we went through every single thing that we owned. And I made two piles in our basement, the giveaway pile and the sell pile. Anything that we didn't give away or sell, we threw it away. We literally divested ourselves of three-fourths of every single thing that we owned. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. A couple weeks ago, a friend and I went to go hiking. We went up to the Pinnacle Trail up, up um, uh, north of here. And um, on the way there, it's an hour away, on the way there, uh, you remember a couple weeks ago the Powerball lottery was really big. I don't know how many of you played that and are actually going to go to hell because of that, but um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it got up to six, so it's $680 million. But I asked them the question, just to kill time, how would, if you won $680 million, how would you spend that money? Lean over to the person next to you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds really fast. I want you to share. If you won $680 million, what would you do with that money? Go. All right, everybody know what you would do? Everybody know what your friend would do right next to you? So my, my friend shared all the different things that he would do with the money, and then we got sidetracked, and then we went up on the Pinnacle Trail, uh, which was a fun hike. And then on the way home, he was like, hey, we got sidetracked. We never got to you. What would you do with $680 million? And I thought for a while, and I didn't really say anything. He was like, no, honestly, what would you do? I said, well, you know, Obviously, there would be, I would give to like the church and stuff like that. And he was like, okay, and then what would you do? I said, my, I would take $100,000 and I would buy my mother-in-law a little cottage. Just small, and there would be a, a picket fence outside, and there would be a garden in the back, already ready to go. Uh, so she could just walk into that house and she would just really enjoy it, and she would love grandkids, all this kind of stuff. And he was like, okay. And I said, that's, that's it. He was like, seriously, what would you do? $680 million. Would you? I said, okay, there's this Ohio State jacket on Amazon for, <laughs> for 99 bucks. And, and he said, okay. And I said, and that's it. That's all I want. It was kind of awkward for a few moments. And I said, I'm a, I'm a minimalist, man. 
I just, I've really been into Jesus' teaching on simplicity. I really don't want anything else. There's literally, I don't have anything else that I want. Now, one of the kindest things anyone has ever done for me is later that week, I walked into the church office, and on my, the door handle to my office door was a bag, and inside of it was that Ohio State jacket. And it was just incredible. It was so, so sweet. I have to be honest, when I saw it and I opened it up, I thought to myself, I should have aimed higher. Um, <laughs> you know, I want, a, I want a Tesla, you know, base model. Nothing crazy. Nothing crazy, right? So I get out of control. Listen, Jesus, what, basically, what he's saying with this teaching is, listen, the, the same thing the great um, Stoic philosopher Epictetus said. Epictetus said, wealth does not consist in having great possessions, but in having few wants. And listen, I didn't share this story this morning about what we have chosen to do as in any way, shape, or form, like, hey, look at what we've done, but simply to say, how is it I've gotten to this point in my life and I've never heard Christians talk about this? How does how is it? All of the disciples did this. All of the people in the first century did this. But I never heard this one time in church, ever. And I wonder why I was a slave to money. See, to me, 10 years ago, if you had asked me the question, I would have had a whole list of sports cars, man. It would have been this car, this, and I would have done this, and I would have done this, because I would have been thinking about those things constantly. Because if I had the ability to get that money, I'm getting this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And what I've been asking Jesus to do is change my heart to not even want those things. The second step that Jesus gives in this passage is stop allowing your eyes to be enticed by more stuff to buy. Jesus said, if you want to train your heart to break free from being a slave to money, you have to be diligent about what you let your eyes look at because what you let your eyes look at actually goes through the eyes and into the heart. Jesus said it this way, The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, meaning greedy, your whole self is going to become preoccupied and dark inside. In fact, he doesn't say your eyes. He says your eye. Because if you've ever looked at something, you're trying to look intently. You know, you close an eye. You're trying to focus intently on something. It's going to make us want more stuff by simply seeing stuff. So Jesus is like, you have to get yourself in a position where you train yourself. I'm going to stop seeing advertisements. I'm going to stop driving by places and seeing stuff that if only I had $680 million, I would get that because it's going to keep you from being content with what we have. There's a book that every single person in this church needs to read. It's Jaron Lanier's book, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Jaron Lanier is a Silicon Valley guy, and he talks about the effect of social media and what it does to us personally. Argument number eight in the book is social media doesn't want you to have economic dignity. In other words, it tracks every single thing that you look at. Social media is the greatest marketing platform in the history of the planet. 
And we think it's simply just something fun to stay connected with people. Let me give, let me give you an example. Yesterday, I went on to Amazon.com, and I searched for a pizza cutter. We lost hours. Lisa said, maybe we had the pizza cutter, and in your frenzy to give stuff away, <laughs> we lost the pizza cutter. I was like, I don't want to hear about that woman. We're looking for a pizza cutter. So I went to Amazon, and one thing I've been disciplining myself is I, I want to get in the position wherever I'm going online, I want to go and I'll do research, and I will say, that's it, and then I will get off. I will look at something that I will get off because the last thing that I want to do is I want to get myself in a position where I quickly go online and I buy something. I want to temper that. So I go on to Amazon and I find the perfect pizza cutter. This is the greatest pizza cutter in the history of pizza cutters. I'm like, that is the pizza cutter we're going to get. $12.97. We're going to be having great grandkids over, and I'm going to be cutting pizza. Remember the day I got that pizza cutter? And I got off Amazon.com, and then I just hopped on Facebook for a moment. Now, the funniest thing happened when I went from Amazon to Facebook. As I'm scrolling through Amazon, can you guess what I began to see? Advertisements for pizza cutters. I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are brilliant. They read my mind. No, they didn't. They've been tracking me. They track us everywhere we go. Everywhere. And they're designing everything to go through our eyes and to affect this. And Jesus is saying, just stop it from happening in the first place. Stop going to the mall to unwind. There are better things to do to relax than going to a place that's going to sell you something. Stop watching too much TV. The whole thing is designed to get you to part with your money. Everybody understands that, right? The reason it's there is so they can provide advertising. That's the whole point. There are better ways to have entertainment. Take all your direct mail. When you get it, collect it and pitch it. And then stop spending so much time on social media. The eye, Jesus said, is the lamp of the body. So protect what goes into your eyes. Here's the last thing. Step number three, stop allowing your mind to worry about material possessions. I don't know if you know this. I have a doctorate. It's a doctorate in worry. I, it's, uh, it's, I actually have advanced studies in anxiety and worry. It's, I'm brilliant at it. I have Ways of worrying about worrying. I'm worrying that I'm not worrying enough. I will make lists and I will worry and that sort of thing. And Jesus is like, you know what? If we're going to change this, that worry thing, you have to train yourself to stop it in its tracks. You have to stop it. And the best way to do that is to ask me what you need, which is in earlier in chapter 6, he says, give us today our daily bread, and then let me deal with it, and let me do my job. Your job is to ask, and then let me do my job. And you go on and enjoy life without the pressure of trying to make the universe come into alignment by worrying yourself to death to, for that particular thing to happen. Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these. And your heavenly Father, he knows you need them. But if you just seek first his rule in your life, his guardianship of your heart, and change that, 
discipline yourself to change the heart first, you're going to notice that all of these things will just magically start to happen because you're going to release me to start doing my job. Funny thing happened after I started writing down my prayers in a Microsoft Word document. Literally, I I type fast, 43 words a minute. I crank. And um, so I'm typing. As I'm typing my prayers, when I hit save, it's now his job, no longer mine. His job to worry about that person, that issue, that thing, that problem. My job is to let him do his job. And you're going to find once you do that and you start training yourself that when you start to worry, it's split mind literally uh, in in the original. Worry is, is literally trying to concentrate on what you're doing and then something else that's hanging over you. And you say, no, 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 I'm going to bring that part of my mind over here and I'm going to be fully present here because I know he's worrying about that other thing. When you do that, suddenly your heart starts to become his. Get rid of possessions. Stop what you're seeing in front of your eyes and then give it all to him. Jesus is saying that is how you're going to stop being a slave to possessions. If you do that, you have no idea how much joy you're going to experience in life. That's his promise to us. Don't you want that promise to be real for you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and providing everything that we need for our enjoyment. Help us to divest ourselves of every single thing that we don't need. Help us to follow in your footsteps and in the footsteps of your first followers. Help us to fill our hearts and our minds with light, with people and love and your word and the presence of your son Jesus in our lives. Fill our hearts with more of you and less of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.